0: Texas, and most of us worked in downtown uh, Dallas there, and we had an arrangement with one of the parking garages there that we could park in the parking garage, but we had to park on the top level, and in doing that we would get a little bit of a reduced rate uh, for being able to park downtown. And so when school was over, work was over, we would end up making our way down through the, the city. We would get to the parking garage there and Everyone was getting off work. The, the the elevators were packed with people coming off work and getting out of the office, and we were always on the top floor, so we had the longest ride of anyone. And this friend, Greg Burkhalter, was his name. And inevitably, Greg would look at me and say something like this when the elevator was full of everyone: "Hey Dwight, I meant to ask you earlier. Is that rash situation clearing up for you? It was awful." I imagine probably the most awkward situation I've ever been in before happened at a previous church. They had one of those plexiglass pulpits there like we used to have here. Um, And um, you can see through those, you know, it's plexiglass. Uh, And the worst thing that can ever happen to a preacher standing in front of a podium you can see through is for his fly to be unzipped. and that happened to me. That's why we have this pulpit. (laughs) I tried to figure out the best way to, you know, deal with this situation, and there was no way to deal with the situation. I just had to preach with my fly zipped the whole time, and So now I have decided that I will embrace the awkward. If it ever happens again, we'll just stop and I'll say, excuse me, and then I'll be right back with you in just a moment. We've all been in those weird, those awkward situations at some point. And some of you are more prone to them than others. Some people don't care about awkward situations. Some people, it just makes you cringe all over and you look for a rock to hide under when they come along. Well... This morning, in Luke's Gospel, we have one of those awkward situations. Jesus comes to a home, and he has dinner, and it immediately becomes extremely awkward. Look at what we read, Luke chapter 11, verse 37. When Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue at every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees! For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you! For you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, In saying these things, you insult us also. And so Jesus said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait to catch him in something he might say. What an awkward dinner party this is. Jesus comes home with the Pharisee. They sit down to eat. And one of the Pharisees looks to Jesus and says, I noticed you didn't wash before you sat down to eat. And Jesus just unloads on them. Let me tell you what you're really like, Jesus says. We're introduced to these Pharisees once again. We're introduced to the lawyers as well, the, the two groups that are mentioned specifically by name here. The Pharisees were considered the holiest of the holy of people in the day of Jesus. They, the name itself, Pharisee, means separate ones. And so they were separated from the common folk of the day. They, they were different They wanted to be different. Before you could become a Pharisee, there was a a probationary period of one year in which you would have to prove your ability to keep the rituals of the law then there were these scribes, these experts of the law, the lawyers. They they weren't lawyers like we think of lawyers in a courtroom setting. They were those who knew the law. They were experts in the law. And what they did is they would take the law of God and they would kind of hedge it up with extra protective laws, if you will. This is what God said, but here we're going to tell you how to exactly do this down to the minutia of detail. They drew a hard line between themselves and the masses of people who didn't keep the law as meticulously as they did but they had they had grown so enamored with keeping all of these extraneous laws these extraneous man-made laws that they had forgotten all about God's commands and obedience to God and living in the love and the mercy of God they were consumed with all of these these extra laws that they had put into place around the law of God and they had grown prone to pride and greed, as Jesus says. And Jesus here in several power-packed punches assails their hypocritical externalism. He essentially comes along and he says everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside it's another story altogether for you Pharisees, for you teachers of the law. And in his speaking, Jesus provides for us a powerful teaching on the marks of hypocrisy in the Pharisees' lives, but also in our lives as well. Hypocrites are characterized by the things that they love and they're characterized by the things that they lack. And so as we walk through Luke chapter 11, these final verses here, look into your own life and ask the Lord to reveal your heart to yourself so that you might be able to answer at the end of all of this, am I one of these hypocrites that I see in Jesus' encounter with them here? First of all, let's go back to verse 38. In verse 38, you will notice that hypocrites love the symbolic. They, they love the symbolism of things rather than the actual substance of things. In verse 38, we read that the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. Now, this is not just a simple hygiene issue. This was a ceremonial washing that the Pharisees demanded. It was a law that they put around the, the way that they would eat meals so that they would not be un clean religiously and spiritually and ceremonially in, in the times that they came to eat meals. There was a, a large portion of laws related to things like this. There was actually that which was known as the Mishnah. The Mishnah was a gathering of these man-made laws that were, that were put around the law of God to tell the people, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, and then everything will be fine. This is what the Mishnah says about this ceremonial washing. The hands are susceptible to uncleanness, and they are rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist, and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back down to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the first water and the second beyond the wrist and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over the one hand alone and then uh, bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, his one hand alone is clean. If he poured the water over the one hand and rubbed it on the other, it becomes unclean. But if he rubbed it on his head or on the wall to dry it, it remains clean. Do you get that? That's the kind of law in which they live. This is how you wash your hands, ceremonially, ritualistically before you eat. And you had to be very specific about how you did it. When I read laws like this, I think of those uh, television shows with surgeons going in to perform surgery, and they walk in like this, they have scrubbed all over, they walk in like this to get the, the gown put on, to get the gloves put on, to get everything ready. We understand that from a hygiene perspective, but that's not what's taking place here. This was a man-made rule to say if you don't do this, you are ceremonially unclean and your meal is ceremonially unclean as well. And this hand-washing was important to the Pharisees to say the least. That's why this guy gets so upset about it. But you know what? This kind of washing was never commanded by God. God never said you need to do this. And so, Jesus, with his not engaging in this ritual, he steps in as kind of an in your face move. Jesus is on the offensive here. It's almost as though Jesus says, I have no intention of giving in to your man-made, legalistic, ritualistic rules. You need to be focusing instead on who God is and what God has said. And he launches into this accusatory speech to these these Pharisees and these keepers of the law. Jesus refused to affirm the man-made regulations that they taught violated the commands of God, when in fact they didn't. He was willing to bring insult to this man in order to bring him face to face with his own hypocrisy and with his spiritual bankruptcy. The Pharisee was astonished that he didn't wash before dinner. Why? Because to the Pharisee everything is symbolic. Symbolically, I have the appearance of holiness and righteousness when I do this so that outwardly my hands are clean. But there's a problem with the heart. That leads us to the second mark of the hypocrite. Hypocrites not only love the symbolic, but hypocrites love the sinful as well. Look at verse 39. Herein we find the defining sin of these religious leaders. And the Lord said to him, now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are that with that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Parents, have you ever before? perhaps gone into your teenager's room because you've opened the the drawer where the silverware stays and realize you're out of forks or spoons. And you think, I wonder where they might be. Let's go on a little exploratory search. And you come to your child's room, and there under the bed, under the cabinets, in the closet, you find plates and glasses and dishes and silverware. And what do you say? Get in here and get this mess cleaned up. Now imagine that child brings down that filthy, nasty bowl of cereal that sat under his bed for two and a half weeks, and he brings it down and he plops out what's left of it, and washes the outside of the bowl and says, look, nice and clean, and puts it back up in the cabinet. I'm not eating out of that bowl. Are you eating out of that bowl? No, of course not. But when you're a Pharisee, when you're an expert in the law, the only thing you care about is what's on the outside. And Jesus says you've got a deeper problem than just what is without. You've got a problem with what is within and what is that problem? He says you are full of greed and you are full of wickedness. You're looking out just for what you can receive. And it is so often marked by by those who are hypocritical in our love of possessions, our love of money. And it is, the way we deal with possessions in American culture today especially, the way we deal with possessions, the way we deal with finances, it is an unfailing indicator of the health of our souls. We, We find out who we really are with what we have and what we use our resources on. The Pharisees' hearts were the very antithesis of what their external religiosity portrayed. On the outside, they might be nice and cleaned up, but inside they are full of greed, they are full of wickedness. And Jesus says, guess what? The one who made the outside made the inside also. He simply says, you need to understand that God knows where your heart is. He knows what captivates our thinking and our motivation and our desires in life and the Pharisees and for hypocrites, their external lip service. It's at at odds with the internal heart reality. They can talk a good talk. They can walk a good walk. But the two don't match up with what's really going inside. And there's this spiritual tug of war that's taking place. On the outside, I look good. I look holy. I look righteous. But inside, there is a deficiency. There is a lacking. They might have washed their hands, but their hearts were completely unwashed and unchanged. Because the focus is all on externals. So Jesus says, but give his alms those things, verse 41, that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. In other words, Jesus comes along and he says, get rid of the sin, repent of that sin, and then everything will be made clean for you by the work of Jesus, outside and inside. And this is the call to all of us. What, What is the hidden sin in your life? What's the hidden sin that perhaps no one else is aware of in your life? That sin that you harbor, that you hold, that you enjoy. That that you have been prompted in your spirit again and again to repent of and to bring to Jesus for crucifying. Yet still there is the holding on of it. There's the harboring of it. Jesus says, repent of it. Turn from it. Allow him to cleanse you. The third thing that the hypocrites love. Hypocrites love the secondary. Look at verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, the, the Pharisees were fastidious tithers. Now, if, if you don't have much of a church background, you've maybe never heard the word tithe before. The word tithe simply means one-tenth. And the, the Pharisees were fantastic at tithing. That's more than can be said for most of the professing church today, definitely. And we should, in some respect, admire their legalistic commitment, but it means nothing when your heart is right. You can give 10% of everything that you have, but if your heart is not right, that will not make it right. In fact, Jesus says that the Pharisees, they were such tithers that they even gave one-tenth of all of their household spices. Can you imagine that? So we've got some mint leaves here, and we've got ten of them. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me, one for God. We've got the rue, we've got the herbs, we've got all of this. And and, and the Pharisees even went beyond what was required of normal people. Again, let's go back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah that breaks down all of these laws to live by. Here's what we read. Rue, goosefoot, purslane, hill coriander, celery, and meadow erect are exempt from tithes. You don't have to tithe on them. Good. That gives me an extra few hours in the day that I don't have to count those out between me and what God gets. But guess what the Pharisees did? They tithed them anyway. Here's, a, here's an application for you. If You want an application to the sermon? When you get home today, go to your spice rack, pull them out, and bring out a tithe of every one of it. Now, I dare say none of us are going to do that. We shouldn't. We shouldn't do that. But that's what the Pharisees would do. Most pastors, by the way, would love to have a church full of Pharisees. Everything looks good. Oh, yes, they're great people. They even give. They, 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 in fact, the, the pastors would make much of their giving. They were great tithers, but they were inward failure. Jesus says you go along and you focus on the secondary issues here. Really, probably not even secondary, probably even tertiary or beyond that. You, You tithe on all of these things, but you neglect justice and the love of God. They, they were great tithers, but they had forgotten about the love of God. What is the first? What is the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked, "What well, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." That was not original with Jesus. Jesus was going back and quoting the law of God to the people, and he says, "This is what God has always said: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." And the second is like it: Love your neighbor as yourself. Hypocrites do neither one of these. They don't do either one. They don't love God and they don't love others around them. The Old Testament prophet Micah tells us, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. James comes along in the New Testament and this is what he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hypocrites can can calculate their giving down to the decimal point, and they may never miss a leaf. But when someone shows up with a personal need, they, they respond like a stingy character from a Dickens novel. Listen to what John tells us. In 1 John chapter 3, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Hypocrites love the secondary. They focus on the the, the minor things rather than the major things. They love the symbol. They they love the, the symbolic. Fourthly, you see in verse 43 that hypocrites love the showy as well. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues, and greetings, in the marketplaces. Woe to you, you're like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing it. The synagogue was, was shaped uh, 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 like in a rectangle and be a long building. Up at the front is where the teaching would take place, much like this. And there would be seats on either side. And within the synagogue, people would be looking across at one another, preferably looking at the one who was teaching. But there were seats at the front that were reserved for the special people. That's where the Pharisees wanted to be. I want to be here where everyone can see me. So that when the law is read, I can look pensive and I can look heavy. So that when we sing the Psalms, I can look, uh, I can look like there is such a joy in my heart. Uh, when the sermon is given, I can make facial expressions. I can nod my head or I can give a glaring look like I don't think that's right. For everyone to see and their pride would leave no room for the God they pretend to so meticulously serve. No room for real faith, in fact. You love the best seat. You love the greetings. Oh, good reverend doctor so-and-so, so so glad you are here. Let's make much of you. John, again, quoting chapter 5, verse 44 of his gospel. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Why is it that we make our life's ambition to seek praise and glory from people, and yet we fail to seek the glory that comes from the only God? Verse 44 points this out even more so about how they like the showy. You're like unmarked graves. People walk over them without knowing it. Pharisees, of course, were taught that contact with anything that was dead would make you ceremonially unclean. And so every year before Passover, they would make a big deal of going out to the graves. They, they would have uh, stone markers, and then they would have graves inside of caves, and they would go out to make sure that everything was whitewashed, everything was cleaned up, everything was noticeable, to make a point of saying, I never walk on a grave, that would make me unclean. Look at what I do. I go to mark out these things so that I'm careful to not be in violation of this man-made rule and law. And yet there's a gruesome irony that's here. You go out to these unmarked graves, you're like them. You're dead on the inside. There's, There's no life that's there. But even more than that, people walk over them without knowing it. Jesus is saying, you are those graves. People encounter you and they become unclean as a result of it. these, These hypocrites with their external posturing draw unsuspecting people to them and then spiritually they ruin them. Hypocrites are like spiritual typhoid and Mary's. They're diseased, they're defiling, they're infecting, they're polluting. And Jesus is saying, this is the way you are, Pharisees. Outside you look okay, but inside you are rotten, decaying flesh. Now let's look at what they lack. Not just what they love, but look at what they lack. Verse 45, one of the lawyers, the teachers of the law, these scribes answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. <laughs> you betcha I do. Yeah. If ever there was a case of leading with the chin, this is it. This lawyer might as well have just said, hey, Jesus, why don't you hit me too? And so Jesus begins to unpack on him. Verse 46, he says that hypocrites lack spiritual power. Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Of all the man-made laws that they had, probably the most notorious of all of them were those created to to provide some sort of protection around the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Mishnah had 39 classifications of labor within it. Each of those classifications had just endless subdivisions that you would have to keep in order to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Just one of them. Let's take just one of them this morning. One of the laws was, the man-made laws was, that you could not carry a burden on the Sabbath day. How do you define a burden? I'm glad you asked, because they would certainly have answered that question for you. You need to know, anything that was heavier than a dried fig was a burden. So anything that weighed as much or less than a dried fig was okay. But do not put that down, because if you put it down and you pick it up, you're doubling the weight, and that was then work, and you've broken the Sabbath. The Mishnah even said that there were permissible ways to carry burdens on the Sabbath. If a man carries a burden in his right hand or in his left hand, in his bosom or on his shoulder, he is culpable for this Last was the manner of carrying out the sons of Kohath. If he took it out on the back of his hand, or with his foot, or with his mouth, or with his elbow, or in his ear, or in his hair, or in his wallet that had to be carried mouth downwards, or between his wallet and his shirt, or in the hem of his shirt, or in his shoe, or in his sandal, he is not culpable." Since he has not taken it out after the fashion of them that take out a burden. That's the law of the Mishnah. Can you believe this? Do you see why the Pharisees were consistently coming against Jesus because he was proclaiming grace and mercy to you through me? It's Jesus who said, those of you that are weary and heavy laden, do you think the Pharisees and those following them were weary and heavy laden? Of course they were. Who can keep up with all of this stuff? Jesus says, those of you like that, come to me. My my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But to make matters worse, these people didn't even care about the heavy burdens they had put on other people. If it really was such a big deal, they should have been the first there to help people, but they didn't. They never helped. All they did was condemn. All they did was point and say, look at what you're doing wrong. Look at how bad you are. And they never came along to say, how can I help? Do we do that? Within the church, do we do that today? Does does the world around us know everything that we're against, but they don't know that we are here to help and we're here to point them to Christ and we're here to make the burden easier and lighter for them by coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Does the world know that? Hypocrites as well lack spiritual life. Look at verse 47. Woe to you, you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. It was this very mentality that killed the prophets of the Old Testament. You can go back and read the prophets of the Old Testament in a similar refrain that you find again and again and again is simply this. You come and you do all of these things, you offer all of the right sacrifices, but your heart is far from God. Bring your heart back to God. What did they do? They killed them. They, they killed the word of God within that. These, these experts in the law made it impossible for people to hear the word of God because they had to get through all of the man-made rules to ever be able to hear what God actually says. And then finally, hypocrites lack spiritual truth. Look at verse 52 to close. Woe to you lawyers. You've taken away the key of knowledge. People can't even understand what the word of God says. You've taken away an accurate interpretation of Scripture because you have all of these man-made rules and regulations that you've put all around the clear teaching of the Word of God. You've bound people up with all of these rules and all of these requirements so that they cannot taste the freedom and the joy of forgiveness and mercy from God. What do we do with this? I dare say that if if we were to just be really honest, if we were just to be really honest with ourselves, as the Word of God is brought before us, and we would ask God to search our hearts, I dare say that there would not be a one of us at some level to say, I am that hypocrite. I'm that one. Here, in this way. I I love the symbolic. I love the showy. Hear him. It's where I am, that hypocrite. People have said to me again and again throughout ministry, I'm not interested in going down there to the church. It's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, you're right. We've got room for another, so come on. This is why we are called as followers of Christ to be living a life of repentance. Not just a singular, momentary repentance, but a life of repentance. God, I find myself craving the adulation of the crowd. Forgive me for that and remove it from me. God, I have built rules and regulations around other people without showing justice and love and mercy from God. Repent of that. And I ask you to fix it within my life. Can, Can I just say to you that one of the deepest causes of hypocrisy Is when we don't have faith in Jesus, but we want to act like we do. Mom and Dad will be happy. My friends, some of them at least, will be happy. The church will be happy. It'll make me look good to those around me. And yet we try all of the goodness. And we become like Pharisees. We heap burdens upon ourselves that God didn't intend. And we interject those burdens to others around us that God didn't intend. And we keep them and we keep ourselves away from the grace and mercy of Jesus. If you do not have true faith, do not attempt external reform. It will never produce love for God. It will never produce love for us. You must open your heart to His grace and give Him your old heart. And then He does something amazing. Through Jesus Christ, you find yourself made new and everything being clean. Father, this morning, we are faced with the reality that we have such a tendency to live as hypocrites. Not not even out of a desire to do so, not even sometimes intentionally, but just just simply out of the, the, the old nature that still struggles for notoriety within our lives. We find ourselves seeking to embrace our own measure of goodness and rightness instead of embracing the perfection of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for us as a church that we would not be a church characterized by hypocrisy, but we would be a church characterized by repentance and forgiveness. And Father, today I pray for those of us who are your children here. We have confessed faith in Christ, we have believed and we follow him, and yet our hearts are so very fickle. I pray you would grip us in this moment, that we would be released from all of that which would hold us captive we would find ourselves held captive only to your Spirit. I pray today, Father, for those who do not know you, that this might be the day that all of these externals melt away and that they look to see Jesus Christ and that they profess faith in Him. Father, during these next few moments, especially, you open your word to our hearts and that your spirit would break us where we need to be broken would rebuild us where we are broken and would make us fresh and clean in your sight again we ask in Jesus name, amen I invite you to stand this morning as we stand We sing, and if there's a response of some sort you need to make, maybe you'd like to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, or maybe what it means to be a member of this church, we would love to begin that conversation with you. If you want to just slip out of your seat and meet me here, we'll start that conversation together as the Lord leads. If you need to come, you come.